are continuing with our Sermon on the Mount series. We're in Matthew chapter 7 today, and we're kind of getting towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been around for all of it, how many of you have been here, like you were here when we started the Sermon on the Mount series? These are people who have been with our church for a long time. These are the old timers now, because we've been working really slow through the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason we've been working slow is because this is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. Like, can you, like, I, I, we have preached now, like, 37 sermons out of one sermon. Like, this is how good Jesus was. This is how incredible of a teacher he was. But I think at the end, he ramp, he, like, goes next level. Like, Jesus just starts dropping Twitter bombs over and over and over. Like, can you imagine, like, listening to this sermon and hearing this content for the first time? I would have been, like, everybody's writing notes frantically on their papyrus. Like, I don't know what they're doing. Like, everybody just, like, we would have been going crazy. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there is all of this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. But, but here's what I need you to know that I believe. I believe the way of Jesus is utterly compelling and absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. I believe the way of Jesus is utterly compelling and absolutely beautiful. But the way of Jesus isn't easy, it's difficult. And so although it is compelling and although it is beautiful, we have to tell the truth that it's also hard, that it's difficult. And so this message today is kind of that mix of like beauty and breathtaking and compelling and wonderful and compelling and and just amazing, but it's also this challenge that it's difficult. The way in Greek, the word, the word the way is the word hodas. Everybody say that with me. Hodas. You guys are not very good at saying things with me. Uh, <laughs> it literally means a road, like a pathway. The, the way of Jesus. Is, it's like there is a specific way. There is a specific road. There is a specific pathways. And, and here's the reality. This is intrinsic to a road map is that there is a way. All destinations have a way. Are you with me? If I were to invite all of you to dinner at my house after church, we'll, we'll do it sometime. We'll do it sometime. We'll, it'll be great. Uh, if I were to invite everybody to do that, my wife may not love it, but we'll, we'll, we'll do it. Uh, if, if everybody was coming, I, I would send you my address, and you would look it up in ways. And there is a pathway that is specific that says, you're going to turn left when you go out of the church here. And then when you hit Robinson there, you're going to turn left again. And then you're going to turn left again. There's a lot of lefts, right? But it's very specific. It, ways, is, ways is annoying sometimes because it pops up things like, who, who wants an icy or something like that? Or like, like sometimes it like just starts offering me things that I don't want. And I'm like, I'm driving. Ways, I can't talk to you about ICs right now, right? Like it's, it feels like it should be illegal, the amount of things that it pops up and suggests for me. It's distracting. Like all of a sudden there's like an NFL game on on the side of the ways or something like that. It just feels like it's doing too much. But, but in the middle of all of that, Waze has never said to me, hey, Ben, which way do you want to go? Which way feels best for you today? Which way feels good? Which way do you think everybody else is taking? Which is the culturally acceptable way? Waze just says, this is the destination. This is the path, and this is how you get there. And that's exactly what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount today. 
And for many of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, it is easy for us to say, our way did not work. If you if you've walked with Jesus for any extended amount of time, you know that you tried your way. You tried to live life your way. You tried to go on your path. You tried to do what felt right for you. You tried to do what seemed right for you. You tried to walk in the culturally acceptable ways or in the way of somebody else expected you to live or in the way that you thought might be right, but it did not produce the fruit that the way of Jesus produced. So if I, if I were honest, like if I walked my way, I would not be nearly the husband and the father that I am today. If I walked in my way, I would be a really angry person right now. And I would be carrying wounds of unforgiveness and deep, deep resentment in my life. If I walked in my way, I would struggle deeply with lust. If I walked in my way, I would love money way more than I should. If I walked in my way, I would treat people like commodities in order to get my stuff done, and I would treat people poorly. If I walked in my way, I bet I would gamble a lot. I like sports. I don't know. I think I could get into that. If I, walk, if I walked in my way, I bet I would drink way too much alcohol. If I walked in my way, my life would look completely different than when I said to Jesus, not my way, but your way. And all of us, we could parade everybody up here and stand on that microphone and we could tell stories of, this was my way, but my way didn't work. I needed Jesus's way. This was the way I was trying to live my life, but this didn't produce any kind of fruit. It didn't do anything good for me. And so I needed a different way. Our way changes, but before our way changes, our destination changes. Are you with me? We are transformed, and there's lots of changes that happen in our life, but before all of that happens, we program in a new destination. We submit and we surrender, and we say, my way isn't working, I need another way, and so I'm trusting your way. That's when we follow Jesus, we say, we lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. My whole life, my future, my hope, my money, my finances, my family, my today, my tomorrow, my calendar, everything belongs to you. You can have it all. There's a new creation that is waiting for you. There is new life, there is new hope. It, it talks about being reborn. It's programming in a new destination. So in our faith, we give away our way to take on Jesus's way. Over 3,000 teenagers were interviewed for a recent book by author Christian Smith. And in the book, here's what those teenagers said. They said, they believe that there is a God that exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life. They believe that God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and most other world religions. They believe the central goal in life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. They believe that God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And they believe that good people go to heaven when they die. They term this, this phrase, moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a confusing word. It's an academic word. Right? But it's this idea that here's, here's what church is doing for us. Here's what Jesus is doing for us. Here's what my relationship with God is doing for us. It makes us nicer. It makes us better people, which is true. I hope so. Jesus has made me nicer. I'm a lot nicer because I know Jesus. <laughs> Jesus has made my life better. It's true. 
but we've minimized our faith to this tiny little thing that makes Jesus this moral teacher who's there to give us therapy rather than a savior who's here to initiate his new kingdom. They're drastically different concepts. Kendra Kesey, uh, author of a 2010 book called Almost Christian, said this, the problem does not seem to be that the churches are teaching young people badly, but it's that we're doing an exceedingly good job of teaching our youth what we really believe, namely that Christianity is not that big of a deal, that God requires very little from us, and that the church is a helpful institution if necessary, and it's filled with very nice people. God is relegated to two things. He either becomes a divine butler who we knock on the door, ring the bell, and say, hey, I need you now. I was going my way. I was doing my thing. I got caught up. There's some bad things happened. Some things went wrong, and so now I need my butler. I need you to save me from this circumstance. I don't need you to save me from myself. I don't need you to save me from my way because the moment you save me from my circumstance, I'm going to keep going back to my way and I'm going to keep going back to my thing. The, what, 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 I, what I need salvation from is my, is my circumstance. I need salvation from this mess that I've got. That, and, and, and we love to blame everybody else for the mess that we're in, right? Instead of saying, no, I, I'm in need of salvation from my way. You know what I need saved most from in this world? Me. Me. The second thing is that we call him, he becomes a cosmic therapist who's just here to heal, heal our trauma wounds. Get more, doesn't get more involved in much else, but he's here to just kind of heal us. And, and we're in this kind of combined trauma as a community and, and as a country right now, coming out of COVID and, and coming out of a crazy election cycle and, and all of these things. Good Lord, please pray for the next election. Just pray for, start praying for me now. Like, I, I'm just terrified at what's going to happen in the church again. Uh, but, like, we're every, everybody's healing up, and so there's this, this like, we're all going to have this trauma, and so we just think that Jesus is just there to heal our trauma. And, and, and here's the reality. Jesus does change you, and Jesus does heal you, and Jesus does rescue us from our circumstances. He does make us new. That's called sanctification. It's all a part of what Jesus does. But before he does any of that, he saves us from ourself, which is called justification. He saves me from me. He saves me from what, what, what my way would have done and what my way would have produced. And, and C.S. Lewis coined a phrase many, many years ago called the third way. And it's become increasingly popular in the church. And, and it's this idea that Jesus is oftentimes found in the messy middle which I believe is absolutely true. I think there's polar opposites on either side of issues and that Jesus a lot of times doesn't exist over here in our thinking or over here in our thinking. He exists in the middle. But I want to be honest and be clear. Jesus doesn't always exist in the middle. Jesus takes sides. We start talking politics and this gets really crazy. Because if you think Jesus affirms everything that your political party affirms, just as your pastor, you're wrong. <laughs> Jesus has serious critiques of Republicans. And Jesus has serious critiques of Democrats. Both. And that makes people leave our church and send me emails. But it's the truth. Jesus doesn't just exist between the two political parties and say, hey guys, get along. Jesus says, I have a way. And that way is good. 
And here is how this party is living contrary to my way. Here is how this party is living contrary to my way. And I want to invite you into my way. I want to invite you into my kingdom. We don't exist to serve our political party. We exist in, 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 as, as citizens of the kingdom of God. That's where our priority lands. And so it's certainly easier right now as a pastor to just keep choosing the middle. To just keep saying, oh, you know what? This is this, and there's this, and Jesus is here. And everybody would be like, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Sometimes it's easier to stay out of the fray. It's easier to pick the moral, easier to pick the moral ground. But in today's passage, Jesus turns from defining his way to inviting us to his way. And he doesn't invite us to the middle ground. He doesn't invite us to the center. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 says this, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard and leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is a really tough text, and this is all we're spending our time on today. This is a really, really difficult text, because immediately when we read this, it leads to all kinds of questions. Does this really mean that Jesus believes that there's very few that are going to enter into heaven? Does this really mean that Jesus believes that most people are not going to enter into heaven? Does this really mean that Jesus thinks a lot of people are going to spend eternity in hell? Does this really mean that Jesus is like that corner preacher yelling at us and telling us to turn or burn? Is Jesus a fundamentalist? Like we're all getting worried, right? All this anxiety stirs up and as Dallas Willard says this, the narrow gate is not so often as assumed a doctrinal correctness. The narrow gate is obedience and the confidence necessary in Jesus to live into it. We can see that it's not doctrinal correctness because many people who cannot even understand the correct doctrines nevertheless place their full faith in him. Moreover, we find many people who seem to be very correct doctrinally but have hearts full of hatred and unforgiveness. The broad gate, by contrast, is simply doing what I want to do. There is a narrow gate, which is Jesus' way. There is a wide gate, which is our way. And more often than not, people on this earth choose our way. Are you with me? So I want to give just a few kind of keys according to this verse. And I want to dive in a little deeper into how does Jesus get specific in this. And I want to actually invite you in the same way that Jesus is inviting you. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. There are two roads. Very simple. There's not a middle road down the center. There's not a side road that you can take over here. There are two roads. And Jesus seemingly classifies us into two categories. There's two roads to life. There's a broad life and there's a narrow life. There's a wide road and there's a narrow road. And there's two destinies in life. There is no third alternative. There is no middle road. There is one or the other. And you cannot be neutral about eternal life. You cannot be neutral about the kingdom. Scripture says you cannot be hot, cannot be lukewarm. You have to be hot or cold. You've got to choose a side and we cannot just dabble in the ways of the kingdom. We actually give ourselves to it or we don't. You're on the narrow road or you're on the wide road. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, you have, have I not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And he said, I will declare to you, I never knew you depart from me. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, 
It's actually the way of death. Billy Graham said this. He said, some might say, well, I'm sincere. And if you're sincere in your beliefs, then isn't it right? If you're sincere in what you believe, if you're really honest and heartfelt and you're trying to do the right thing, but you're still following your way and not Jesus' way, is that okay? There's a lot of people that are sincere, but they're wrong. Graham says this, some say, well, I'm going to follow my conscience, but your conscience is never a safe guide. Your conscience can be hardened. It can be dead. It can be deceived. It can be seared. You have sinned so much against the Holy Spirit that your conscience is no longer sensitive and is no longer a safe guide. Your conscience can mislead you. Your way can mislead you, even when you're sincere in your way. Before I knew Jesus, I sincerely loved my wife. I just didn't know how to love her the way Jesus loved the church. Before I knew Jesus, I sincerely wanted to be a good father. I just didn't know Jesus' way of being a good father. I needed to grow in the way of Jesus, but there was sincerity in certain areas of my life. It doesn't mean just because we're sincere, like... Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, not of yourselves, but it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so some will say, like, isn't this narrow-minded, right? A narrow road. Isn't a narrow road narrow-minded? Like, aren't we, are, are, are we really saying there's one way? Like, isn't that arrogant? Isn't that prideful? Many will say we got to be more broad-minded, we got to say, well, if it works for that person, then isn't it good? If they're doing all right, if they're sincere, if they're loving, if they're kind, but let's, let's try and apply that to other areas. Like, suppose we apply that to mathematics, right? Two plus two is, how, is what? Well, what? Yeah, somebody over here thinks it's six. Is that Moxley? Yeah, I figured, right? So right, what, what do we do with that? Oh, well, John's really sincere, and he's really nice, and he doesn't wear shoes, so, like, six is good. <laughs> like, that's fine. Let's just let John, let's let John do his thing. The, the reality is it doesn't matter how many times John says two plus two is six. It's four. Are you with me? It doesn't matter if I'm telling you to go to my house, and, and you decide, like, I'm going to turn right out of here and go this way because that's what feels right to me. That's fine. You're just not going to get there. Right? There there is an order, there is a path, there is a destination. These things make sense. A a, a chemist can't just decide in the lab, I'm just gonna throw this in here because it feels good. I wanna see what this blue stuff does. You're gonna blow up the lab. Like There is an order and there is a reality and it's not narrow-minded to suggest that there is an order and that there is a reality. We've gotten to a place in in our culture where we can't even say that something is right or that something is wrong. Jesus says there is a way, and this way is good, but it's narrow, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's challenging. Here's the second point from this passage. Both roads lead somewhere. There's two roads. Both of them are taking us somewhere. There is a wide road that leads us to destruction. One of the greatest ways to destroy your life is to follow the crowd. This is what I tell my kids all the time. One of the greatest ways to destroy your life is to do what everybody else is doing, to follow what everybody else is doing, to not be the leader in your own life, to let somebody else control your own decisions and results and those kinds of things. Everyone has a story to tell of everybody else was doing it, and so I followed them, and destruction followed after that. 
There is a road that is wide that leads to destruction. Destruction is best translated in scripture as ruined. Ruined. Things were ruined. And, and, he, and here's what that means. Things stopped being what they were intended to be. We were created by God and for God to live in relationship with him in the garden, to walk with him in the cool of the evening, to know him, to know his voice, to to know his power, to know his authority, to be protected by him, to live with him, to hear from him, to walk in obedience, to live in the garden in this beautiful space, but that was ruined. It was ruined because we chose our way over his way. It was ruined because we decided to go our way rather than walk with him. It was ruined because we decided to hide and run and and pretend and live in shame and fear and guilt rather than submitting and surrendering our life to him and saying, your way is better than my way. When we decide to live our way versus Jesus's way, we waste our life. We ruin our humanity. We live in a way that we were never intended to live, and that causes brokenness. It causes brokenness for us, and it causes brokenness for everybody else who lives in our orbit. Our choices have consequences for others, and so we ruin. While the narrow road is life, life is best translated as salvation. The narrow road is salvation. It's life as it's supposed to be. It's humanity as it's supposed to be. It's the way it's supposed to be. Now, I hate narrow spaces. Anybody with me? I, I, I went caving when I was like a college pastor with a bunch of junior hires, which is a terrible decision. It was, our, don't take junior hires anywhere, but you definitely don't want to take them in a cave. Um, but I went in this cave, and there was this really tiny, narrow, like, I'm getting anxious talking about it right now. There was this little hole that you crawled through, and there was, a t- there was a line of people around me who are junior high kids. And so I'm going through this, and one of these kids, I, I, I'm, I, I'm tempted to call him a name right now. And he just stopped in the middle of the tunnel, up front. And I'm in this, it's pitch dark. I can't see my hand right here. There is a child here. I can't go forward or backwards. I, golly, somebody get me a anxiety medication right now. Like, I, I need it right now as I tell this story. I, I am sitting there, and I hate narrow spaces. I was so worried about being stuck. I would never go through that again. Like if you, if we all went into a cave right now and you were like, hey, here you go. Nobody's gonna be in front of you. Nobody's behind you. There's no junior hires. I'm like, I'm out. I'm not going through that thing. But here's when I would go through that thing. If I'm in a war and the soldiers are coming at me from this side, and there's one way to life, and it's going through that narrow pathway, that's the only time I'm going through that narrow pathway. There's two roads. Both lead somewhere. One leads to ruin. One leads to salvation. And we're invited to choose the way of Jesus. John Stott said it this way. He said, the message of Jesus was so different because he never lowered his standards or modified the conditions of his call to make it more readily acceptable. 
He asked his first disciples to give up everything and follow him, and he's asked every disciple since to do the same. Through thoughtful and total commitment, nothing less will do. Third thing about this passage is we get to choose which way we enter. You get to choose it. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, I call on heaven and earth to witness against you today. I have set before you life and death, blessing and a curse, so choose life. Every single one of us gets to choose the way in which we walk. We can walk in the way of Jesus or we can walk in our own way, but the invitation is there and God is always inviting us to choose him. Every single one of us gets to choose which way we're gonna walk, which path we're gonna go on, and Jesus is constantly holding out the invitation without coercion or without manipulation, without shame or without guilt. He's saying to us, you get to choose. I love you enough to allow you to choose your path, but you get to decide which way you're going to walk, and he turns from teaching about his way to inviting us to his way. So for the last Two chapters, Jesus has been telling us about this beautiful way, about this compelling way. Week after week after week, for the last like 30 weeks, we have gone through these passages where I think every one of them are beautiful and compelling and right and good. And we look at it and we say, yes, that makes sense. It makes sense to live that way. It's good to live that way. That way produces fruit. And now Jesus says, I've told you about my way. I've made the argument about how beautiful it is. I've told you about how good it is. And now you have to decide which gate you're going to enter. Jesus is ratcheting up the invitation. Right? It's the end of the sermon. And you know when it's the end of the sermon, the preacher's getting after it. Right? Because it's coming. Something is required of us. There's an invitation. This is not just a theory or a nice suggestion. Jesus isn't just saying, I want you to agree with me that my way is good. He's saying, I want you to walk in my way. John Stott said, Jesus never concealed the fact that his religion included a demand as well as an offer. The demand was total as well as the offer was free. If he offered men his salvation, he also demanded their submission. He gave no encouragement whatever to thoughtless applications of discipleship. He brought no pressure to bear on any inquirer. He sent irresponsible enthusiasts away empty, and he continued to invite people to walk in his way. I love that first phrase. He never concealed the fact that there was a demand as well as an offer. Moralistic therapeutic deism gives you an offer without a demand. It says Jesus is here to make you nice. He's here to make your life a little better. Pray a magic Jesus prayer. Sing some songs every week. Be nice. Jesus said, I am here to initiate a new kingdom. I'm bringing a whole new way and I'm inviting a whole new family to follow me and to walk in this way because here's what we're gonna be about, family. We're gonna be about the redemption of all things. We're gonna make everything new. And when we're made new by Jesus, when we decide I'm no longer walking in my way, I'm walking in his way, then we're freed up to make new the rest of the world. 
and we make everything new wherever we go. We become the blessing and not the curse. When we accept the blessing of Jesus, then we become the blessing of Jesus to others. Instead of cursing others, instead of living in a way that leaves a wake of bodies in my way and hurts the people around me and diminishes the thing that's inside of them, what I become is the person who lifts up the thing that Jesus has placed inside of you. And I become the person who blesses and blesses and blesses and blesses and we keep living this way until the whole world is changed. This is why I believe the church should be doing the work not in here but out there. Over and over and over, Ephesians chapter 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, not by your own. It's a gift from God. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all chosen our own way. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way. There's no debate about that. There's no middle ground. He didn't say, like, I'm the way, and there's some other good ways over here, too. He said, no, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is a narrow road, and that road requires Jesus, and that road requires repentance, and that road requires us saying, I can't do this on my own. My way isn't working. I'm giving up my way, and I'm following your way. And when we do that, when we turn from our way and we choose his, when we give our lives as a living sacrifices, something so much bigger than us becoming nicer people who are healed starts to happen. We become people of a new kingdom. We become people who are saved in order to save others. And we become a blessing wherever we go. Here's, here's the message of Jesus. Here's the message for every single one of us who once walked our way and have decided to walk his way. I was dot, dot, dot. And now I'm I'm saved. I once was walking in darkness, but now I've seen a light. I once was walking in a curse and now I'm walking in a blessing. I once was broken and now I'm healed. I once was an abuser and now I'm a healer. Like I, I, I love to hear stories. This is, my, this is one of my favorite things. I love to hear stories of when Jesus saves us from something and then we go on to heal the same thing in the world. Isn't that amazing? Like I love to hear stories of addicts who are like, man, I was a mess. I was addicted. I was doing all this stuff, and now this is the work that I do. I help addicts meet Jesus, and their lives are transformed. Like, I love hearing those kinds of stories. That's exactly what we're invited to. There is a narrow road, guys. And I, I'm, I would lie to you if I said that narrow road is easy. It's not. It's really hard. It's difficult. Paul said, I'm being given over to death every single day so that others might live. That death is a dying to ourselves. I die to my way every single day so that I can live for Jesus' way. And I think that way is utterly compelling and utterly beautiful. And I am not ashamed to say there is a map. And on that map, there are two destinations. One leads to life and one leads to destruction. And I want to invite you to choose life.
And so if you've never chosen Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've been hanging around church and you've kind of said, I just, I like church, it's great, I'm becoming nicer, I like these people, they're good people, I think we're doing some good work in the community, they gave away $100,000 to something, that's good. Great, we love it that you're here, I hope Jesus keeps changing you. But I want you to know that that change begins when you choose a new destination. When at the end of your life, the destination is not, I'm going to accomplish all that Ben Hardman wanted to accomplish in his life. But the end of your life, the, the vision is, I'm going to accomplish what Jesus wanted to do with my life. And I'm going to give my life over as a living sacrifice to him.